Welcome to the Carrie Newhoff Leadership Podcast, a podcast all about leadership, change, and personal growth. The goal? To help you lead like never before in your church or in your business. And now, your host, Carrie Newhoff. Well, hey, everybody, and welcome to episode 239 of the podcast. My name is Carrie Newhoff, and I hope our time together today helps you lead like never before. Well, I hope your new year is off to a great start. And thank you for so many of you making us a part of this. And I want to say a particular thank you to those of you who share. I mean, it's fun to listen to these things while you're running, you know, making dinner, on a commute, on a long trip, wherever you happen to listen to your podcast. But it's another thing to share them with your team and to share them with your friends. So for all of you who are sharing on social, uh, I just want to say thank you. Thank you so much for uh, getting the word out really helps us do what we do and do it better. This is going to be, I hope, the best year yet for the podcast. And uh, on that note, I think you're going to love today's guest. A lot of you have heard of him. He is a best-selling author, and he's written books like The Energy Bus, The Carpenter, Training Camp. Uh, he works with organizations like the LA Dodgers, Dell, Southwest Airlines, the LA Clippers, the Miami Heat, uh, with major banks, with uh, even West Point Academy. And what does John Gordon do? He talks to them about positivity and makes a huge difference in their life, in corporate culture, in team culture. And uh, John sat down with me to talk about just positivity generally. He's got a powerful story. And see if this ever hit you as a leader, you know, but you come home, you just kind of dump when you get home. I am guilty as charged, more so in the past than in the present, but still sometimes, you know, I can be that guy. And when John was 29, his wife said, listen, I love you, but I cannot live my life with a guy who complains all the time. And totally set him on his heels. He became about uh, like positive things. We reach a really fun moment in the interview where he says, why are you talking so much about negativity? And I thought, you know what? It's because there's a lot of church leaders listening and a lot of business leaders listening and what they deal with is negativity all, all day long. So anyway, I think you're going to love this interview. And hey, speaking of negativity and frustration, you ever find yourself like short-staffed? I think one of the areas that is chronically understaffed in the church today is in the area of media development. I mean, there's all the things you need to do, but then there's all the things you should do. And you know what the reality is for most churches? They're just understaffed, either no staff or not enough. Well, what if there was a cloud-based solution? that didn't cost you a fraction even of what a regular staff member would. Well, if you haven't done it yet, check out ProMediaFire. You can find them at ProMediaFire.com and make sure you go to ProMediaFire.com slash carry where there are some special savings. So here's the deal. So many leaders just struggle with um, graphic support. And so ProMediaFire has unlimited graphic design services, unlimited custom church videos for a flat monthly fee that, again, is a fraction of what you would pay for a staff team member. Now, collectively, this creative team has over 30 years combined experience, and they've got a limited launch special um, to listeners of this podcast, 10% off all plans for life and 40% off for the media bundle for life with unlimited graphic design and video services. So head on over today to promediafire.com slash carry. And another question for you before we jump into the interview, it's simply this. How are those New Year's resolutions going? You know what? For a lot of us by this point, it's like, well, 
not particularly well. And I'm not just talking about diet or losing weight, but you know how this was going to be the year where you were going to crush your goals. This was going to be the year where everything was going to be different. It's feeling really the same. Well, I got good news for you. Uh, thousands of leaders now have been helped by the High Impact Leader course, which I do. And it is open right now at its current rate. So it's, it's around all the time, but rates are going to go up. And I've added a whole lot of bonuses for the month of January. So if your ambition exceeds your current capacity, that is who the High Impact Leader is designed for. Uh, listen, I did not have the system before I burned out over a decade ago. So I've distilled everything I've learned over the last 13, 14 years into 10 key principles you need to maximize your output as a healthy, sustainable leader. It's all in the High Impact Leader course, and it's open now at the best rates with brand new bonuses. And it's your last chance to get the course in 2019 at this price. So if you're ready to get your life and leadership back for real, head on over to thehighimpactleader.com. Just go right over right now to thehighimpactleader.com. We'll take care of you there. Well, and uh, speaking of better impact and a more positive impact, let's jump into my conversation with best-selling author and consultant, John Gordon. John, welcome to the podcast. I'm so glad to have you. Gary, thanks for having me. Yeah, so uh, you work with a lot of great organizations, 16 books, and you consult with the LA Dodgers, Atlanta Falcons, Dell, like in the tech world, Southwest Airlines, uh, a lot of banks, Bear, and even the West Point Academy. Like you pretty much hit the whole leadership spectrum. Tell everybody what you do. And I would love for you to share how you got into doing what you're doing. Well, it's been a journey. My wife and I were fighting a number of years ago and I was miserable, negative, unhappy with my life. And and she came up to me and she said, you know, I, I love you, but I'm not going to spend my life with someone who makes me so miserable. I was oh. 20, 29 years old at the time two small children, fearful and stressed. And I really didn't have any faith. So I remember praying really for one of the, one of the first times, like praying and saying, God, like, why am I here? I know I'm here for a reason. What is my purpose? And writing and speaking came to me. I said, okay, what am I going to write and speak about? I didn't know, but I knew that that's what I was supposed to do. I wanted to be more positive. So I started to research ways that I could be more positive on my own journey. And it was during the emerging field of positive psychology. So I found all these great tips on, on being positive. I found that you can't be stressed and thankful at the same time. Oh. So I started taking these walks of gratitude every day. I call it a thank you walk. And every day I would be walking and saying what I was thankful for. And then I started to pray on these walks. I wasn't a Christian, but I, I just started to pray. I actually grew up Jewish. My mom was Jewish and my biological father was Jewish. My, mm -hmm. stepfather, my stepfather, who was my dad who raised me, uh, he was Catholic, Italian. So we never went to church, never went to temple. There was no religion in my life, but I, I just started to pray. And then my good friend Daniel Decker, who we both know, gave me these sermons from Erwin McManus. And yeah. one was called, Why I Follow Jesus. And I heard that sermon. It really started to speak to me. I heard a sermon from Rob Bell called Covered in Dust about Jesus as a Jewish rabbi. And that really spoke to me and about why his followers would follow him, the disciples, and, and that story. And that just really spoke to me. And Erwin's words just really brought Jesus to life for me. And so from there, I went on this spiritual journey. And that coincided with me knowing that I was supposed to write and speak. And next thing you knew, I wrote a book called The Energy Bus. 
And that book came out and it wasn't a bestseller right away. It was rejected by over 30 publishers. But really? that book, yeah, but that book started to get into the hands of, of different leaders, different sports teams, coaches, school principals. They started to read that book. And then I started getting invited to speak to these various organizations. And from there, that really began my leadership journey. I wasn't a consultant. I was just someone who was going out speaking. And then when I was there, I was interacting with the leaders and the people from these companies. And I just started to learn a lot. So it was like on the job training of leadership, not theory leadership, but practical leadership about what works. And so for the past now 11 years since the energy bus has been out, that's what I've been doing, speaking on leadership, working with teams and doing this work. And I realized that was my ultimate calling. This is why God had me here to teach, learn, and share about leadership and building strong teams. Hmm. Any idea why you were so negative in your 20s? I mean, as, as uh, we all have that voice in our head, right? Like I have my days, my bad days, my wife and I've had conversations, but like what led you to the point at 29 where your wife's like, we're not doing this? Two small children. And I was just so fearful about my life and about my future. And I had no faith about the future. I was just so scared that my life was going to turn out horrible. And so I think with the fear and the pressure of having to provide for two small children as a young dad, having this wife that I, I needed to support, I couldn't handle it. I wasn't mature. So I believe fear and stress. And I was losing the battle of my mind. But again, my worst moment, that was one of my worst moments, led to my best moment the work I get to do now. So you're Googling, how do I become a more positive person? Like that's how the journey started, John? I didn't think Google was around at that point. <laughs> 11 years ago, I'm trying to think it would have been a pretty basic <laughs> search engine. Yeah, it was a few years, even before 11 years ago. I think this conversation was around because I'm 47 now. So okay, 20 years ago. 20 years ago. Okay. So you started what? Reading books, going to seminars. What, what, what was your path? Yeah, I started researching Again, positive psychology. There were books on positive psychology, Martin Seligman, and on the internet, the old-fashioned internet, there was yeah. different research and articles like that. And so I started to see all this cool research, for instance, focusing on what people are doing right, and they'll do more things right, and also the ratio of positive interactions versus negative interactions. So I started to find this research, and then I started to apply it. Like a coach in me, the coach in me takes this information and figure out, figures out how to apply it. That's even what I do now. I take these principles and say, okay, how can we apply it so that leaders and teams can use it and, and work with it? So from there, it just began this journey of finding what works in terms of positivity. And I started a newsletter, a weekly positive tip of the week. And every week I would send these positive tips out. Sometimes it was inspiration. Sometimes it was research. I mean, now everyone has a blog. Everyone's sharing information on social media. But back then, this was 2002, I started a weekly positive tip. And it started with an email. I would just email the people on my email list. My mother, my brother, my best friend from college. They were getting these tips whether they liked it or not. It's like an old-fashioned all-send. Remember those from 100 years yes. ago? Yeah, yeah, yeah. You BCC everybody or whatever. Yeah, I did. I would BCC them all and just send it out. <laughs> but people started, people started to share it. And people wow. started you know, asked to be added to the list. And from there, it grew and grew and grew. And that led to the opportunity to try to publish these books. So you talk about your spiritual quest, which is amazing, which ended up on you becoming a Christian and, and following Jesus. 
you talked about your daily walks and gratitude tips. What are some other, because you, you live in the world of the practical, what are some, because there's a lot of people who struggle with negativity listening to this podcast. What are some, like two or three, and I know, you know, 16 books later, this is complicated. We're not going to have time to touch it all. Two or three things that like, you know what, you try this, you will see a difference. The best advice I ever heard is from Dr. James Gills, the only person on the planet to complete six double Ironman triathlons. That means you do not you do an Ironman, 20 hours later you do another one. And the last time he did it, he was 59 years old. So he was asked how he did it. He said, I've learned to talk to myself instead of listen to myself. He said, if I listen to myself, I hear all the negative, all the fear and all the doubt. But if I talk to myself, I can feed myself with the words and the encouragement that I need to keep on moving forward. He would memorize and recite scripture. And that's what fueled him. And so for me, I do a lot of talking to myself. I realized the negative voices are lies. I don't believe the lies. Instead, I do what Jesus did in the wilderness. I speak truth to the lies. I actually teach this to professional athletes, to leaders. Everyone really gets it, which is really cool. I mean, I will share these tips in a corporate environment, in a business setting. Now, I won't go the Jesus route, but I'll mm-hmm. talk about the lies and fear and negativity. And I asked them, does negativity come from you? And they said, yeah, yeah. I go, really? Who would ever choose to have a negative thought? Would you ever choose a negative thought? No one would ever choose one. So it's not coming from you. It's coming from the enemy. It's coming from a spiritual place. It's a spiritual battle. And once you understand that, you can armor yourself with the truth, with these positive words that help you overcome the lies that come in all the time. So for me, that's really the biggest battle that, that I've won over the years through prayer, through trust in God, through belief, where on a daily basis, I'm taking these walks of gratitude and prayer. I walk, I surrender, I let go of ego and fear. I say, God, I, I trust in your plan for my life. I say, God, use me for your purpose. Guide me towards my purpose. Have me help you who you want me to help. Have me serve who you want me to serve. I also repent on these walks. It's like the number one thing that I've done in the course of my life over the past you know, 12, 12 years now on this daily walk that has really transformed my life. Well, I'm curious, why walking? What is it about walking? I think that's the time that I just get most silent. It's a time that God can reach me. I'm not saying everyone should go out and go on a walk, right? For some yeah, yeah. people, it's a bike ride. For others, it's when they're in the shower. You know, for me, it's during these walks that I'm able to just really connect and then to receive. And every idea I've had, all these books that I've written has come on these walks. So I'll be walking and then I'll get this, I'll get this uh, idea that just comes to me on the walk. Isn't that interesting? Are they 20 minute walks, half hour walks, hour walks? They're all, all, all depending on the time and yeah, the yeah. Day, but sometimes they're a 10 minute walk, sometimes 20, usually an hour, love to walk for about an hour and you come back and you've created a fertile mind and a spirit that is ready for great things to happen. Now, I, I also at night before I go to bed, you know, I, my wife and I pray before bed. We were just on, just on TV sharing these tips on TV about the fact that we pray every night before bed. And that's one of the key things that have allowed us to stay connected together. So that's been really important. So that's another ritual we do. Try to eat right, exercise every day, things like that to, you know, really stay healthy on this journey. 
Isn't that interesting, you know, that you talk to yourself as a preacher? I'm, I'm preaching on Psalm 42 in a couple of weeks. That's exactly it. I've called the, the week uh, Talk to Your Soul. And it, it's actually a biblical concept where why are you so downcast, my soul? Why, you know, put your hope in God? Like you basically talk yourself out of your despondency. And that's exactly what you're talking about, isn't it? Oh, it is. And I love when Jesus was in the wilderness and yeah. the devil was lying to him. What do you do each time? He said, it is written. It is written. <laughs> it is written. And I learned from that. I was like, that's it. He spoke truth to the lie. He was giving the playbook on how to deal with the enemy. Now, when I'm speaking to younger people, I'll even talk about this in a secular setting. I'll say, hey, what is Star Wars about? What's it a battle between? And they'll say, good and evil. What's Harry Potter about? Good and evil. And evil. What's Superman about? Good and evil. What's Wonder Woman about? Good and evil. It's the narrative in the universe. It's our narrative that we face evil with good. And so it's the battle between good and evil. And that is our journey. It's what Jesus talks about. And it's our path as human beings. I'm taking on the evil with good, with a trusting God. And once you understand that that's the battle, now you can win the battle. And you can't win the battle if you're just trying to come up with mental strategies. Like, oh, I have this mental strategy. Because it's more than a mental strategy. It's understanding the truth that allows you to win the battle. Oh, man, I have so many questions. So one of, one of the things that I think a lot of us would assume, because, again, you're working with top corporations, top athletes. I mean, you're working with the cream of the crop. That's your, it's your day job. A lot of us would think, well, these guys don't have those struggles. Like they're not, they're not, they're not battling at this level. Um, what are what are you finding working with these guys? I find that whether it's a CEO, a head coach of an NFL team, or a superstar player, we're all dealing with these battles because we're all human. And so often, the more success you have, the more fear you have because the farther you have to fall, you're scared of losing what you have. And you don't want to lose it. And so the enemy comes in even more and attacks you in the place of your identity. And when your identity is your success, when your identity is your money or your power or your position, you will be attacked even more. And so I see it as my role to, to help these you know, people through this, these challenges. But again, I'll, I'll talk about it when I speak to them in terms of positive leadership, right? How do we lead from a positive way? And then as we talk about positive leadership and building strong, positive teams, from there, on the individual level, when we have this relationship and you find out different people are struggling with different things, that's when you can talk about that on a, on a personal level. Right. And get into what motivates your worldview and your faith and your belief system. Exactly. Um, what are some common characteristics of high-performing individuals or high-performing teams? Well, from a, a, a team standpoint, they all have a, a shared vision and a greater purpose. They know where they're going and they know why they're going there. They stay positive through the challenges. I mean, every team will face challenges. And stay positive may sound cliche, but it's really about staying positive through all the adversity, all the obstacles. I was just with the Rams during their uh, training camp and I said to them, you guys are all positive now because you're undefeated. You haven't <laughs> lost the game. Yet. <laughs> It's the teams that stay positive throughout the season that accomplish great things. Because right now we're positive. 
But once we have our first loss, how do we respond? So as a leader and as a team, you have to work through those struggles, stay positive through them, continue to move forward. And that's a key attribute for teams. They have this belief and optimism where they just don't let it go. And then they're really connected. You have to be a connected team if you want to be a committed team. Everybody wants commitment on their team, but you will never have commitment without connection. And I have found that these teams get connected. They have what's called emotional safety, psychological safety, where they have trust, where they build a bond, where they they feel free to fail, be vulnerable with each other. And from there, this bond, this trust, this relationship is what really drives true and lasting success. Again, you see the teams that give up halfway through the season because they're not connected and not committed. You see the teams that don't have team grit. Everyone talks about grit. You'll never have team grit without this connection and commitment. And then great teams also have the difficult conversations. They move from what I call like to love. I wrote this in The Power of a Positive Team, right? From like to love. Steve Scheinbaum taught me this principle because he realized that in all his work with teams, there's so much like today. Everyone wants to be liked because all the likes in social media, right? No one wants to rock the boat. But they stay surface level as a result of that. And then they never move to greater intimacy. They never move to love because they don't have the difficult conversations. You have to have the difficult conversations. Pete Carroll has Tell the Truth Mondays after their Sunday football games. Seattle Seahawks, Tell the Truth Mondays, right? Okay, every Monday we get together and we're going to tell the truth. This is what you did wrong. These are the mistakes you made. Here's what we need to do better. But no one gets defensive because they know it's part of their culture. It's about accepting feedback. It's not demeaning. It's demanding, but not demeaning. And in that process, everyone gets better. So, so great leaders and teams are demanding, just not demeaning. And they're all moving towards a standard of excellence where they really want to improve every day. They're always striving to get better. They have what I call positive discontent, where when they win, they say, okay, we won, but what can we do better? Just like in your church. All right, we had a great service. Service was awesome, but what can we do better? We're going to celebrate it, but how can we improve? Or this is really bad service. We yeah. lost the game. It was a bad service. Okay, what did we do wrong? How can we get better? So regardless of whether it's bad or good, they're always striving to get better in the process. So that's interesting. So being positive doesn't mean you just, you know, gloss over mistakes or problems. But I love how you say um, you're demanding, but not demeaning. Because I think we've all been in that situation where it's been demeaning, not just demanding. Yeah, when people see my book, The Power of Positive Leadership and Positive Team, they think, okay, this is Pollyanna positive. And I love when I get to share, no, this is not Pollyanna. This is about confronting negativity. It's about dealing with negativity. It's about addressing the challenges. And it's about pursuing greatness together. We're not just here to have fun together. We're here to pursue greatness together. Because we believe the best is yet to come, we give our best to each other. We give our best each day to create the best outcome. So this is about pursuing excellence. And it's about love and accountability. That's the key to great leadership today. It's the key to great teams. Two words, love and accountability. You have to have both. Give a lot of love but no accountability, you're going to be a great family. You're going to love each other, but you're not going to be very accountable. You're not going to be moving towards greatness. If you have a lot of accountability, which is the way a lot of us lead, but not enough love, well, then you're always pushing, you're grinding, you're challenging, but there's not enough love to invest in that relationship. And so what do you do? You get what Andy Stanley said, rules without relationship lead to rebellion, right? So you have to have the two in combination together. Okay, so let's say uh, an NFL team that's 0 and 10 calls you in. 
All right, John, John, we're on 10. We haven't won all season. All right. Our fans, there's three people left in the stands. Uh, the owner's furious. What you walk into that situation. How do you coach that organization? Well, first and foremost, not every team I work with wins. And I share that I spoke to the Cleveland Browns two years ago. So I know that's not me, right? (laughs) And I went to them halfway through the season. So it's a very similar situation of what you're talking about. I never like to go in at that point. I really believe the key is during training camp because you have to set the culture at that point. You set the expectations. And these are the foundational principles They'll allow you to have a great season. So we like to do it early on. And then I found that the coaches and the leaders, they ingrain these principles and they live those principles. Then you see results. So it's always the leader, never the talk, never the book. Mm-hmm. It's always, but if I go in and they're 0 and 10, we're talking about getting better. We're talking about improvement. We're talking about staying positive for ourselves and each other. We're talking about being positively contagious right now that every day you show up, you could be a germ or a big dose of vitamin C. What kind of energy are you bringing to each other and to your team? And it's believing the best is yet to come. And the idea is, hey, let's give our best every day right now. Because what you do right now will not only determine how you finish the season, but it will also determine how you start next season. It will determine your career and how you move forward. Because if you commit to that right now, everything you do from here on out, will never be about the circumstance. It will always be about being the best that you can be. No, that, that, that's good counsel. So uh, I'm thinking about pastors who feel like they're the Cleveland Browns. It's like, man, you should see this team. Or, you know, business leaders who are like, well, I have a startup. It's almost a, a non-start at this point. When you're talking with the head coach, when you're talking with the quarterback, and they come to you and they're saying, John, I'm just discouraged. I want to throw in the towel. What What do you say to them? Well, it's what I wrote in The Power of a Positive Team. The fact that discouragement is why we so often give up. Mm-hmm. That's why staying positive is so important. We get discouraged. We give up. We stop trying. And so we don't give up because of the challenge. We give up because we get discouraged. And if you could just stay positive and move forward one step at a time and strive to get better every day, then you move yourself and you move forward in a, in a positive direction, creating a greater outcome in the future. So that's why encouragement is so important. That's why we need more encouragement in this world. That's why I do what I do. And my job is really just to encourage. I mean, I saw Dabo Sweeney. I work with Clemson football you know, for the past mm-hmm. seven years now. And I've seen this coach, this leader, just believe just stay encouraged no matter what happened, no matter what loss they had, he stayed encouraged, stayed positive and kept on instilling that belief in others. Leadership is a transfer of belief. And so if you as the leader are not believing what's possible, if you're not positive, your team will never be positive. You have to realize that you're transferring your belief every day to your team. That's why you must be a positive leader today. Through all the challenges, you must lead your team in a positive direction. And I've seen the great leaders that do that. That's why I know this is not Pollyanna. Alan Mullally, turnaround Ford, took over as CEO in 2006. They were losing $14 billion. $14 billion. <laughs> With a B. <laughs> Talk about discouraged, but he saw it as an opportunity. He was excited about it. He had them profitable in a few short years. Yeah, during the biggest recession in, you know, since the Great Depression. Well, imagine that. So 2060 takes over, 
they restructure the company, they start building great cars, they're reorganizing everything, doing everything right. And 2008 hits, and all of a sudden, no one's buying cars. Yeah. Man, everyone got discouraged but him. He said, we have a plan. Everyone must embrace the plan, relentlessly work towards the plan. And so he just kept everyone focused on the plan, continued to work on it, stayed positive, defined his leadership style as positive leadership, and transformed the company. One of the greatest leadership feats in history. So if that pastor of a small church, if they're struggling, things not going well, if that small startup business person, it's not going well, you have to look at your vision and say, okay, is this our vision? Is this really where we want to go? Do we still believe it's viable? Because that's another question, right? Do we have a bad model? Is the business just not right? Is it not going to succeed no matter what we do? Like even even God can't make this work. Right, right, <laughs> so, right. right. Like, is there like Cleveland Browns? Like, I feel like no one can help the Browns those last <laughs> that I was there, right? And so when, when and I love and I actually root for that team, by the way. But yeah. if it just is so bad, you have to evaluate that. But if you truly believe this is what we want to build, this is what we want to create, and you know what? We believe it's possible, then you continue to work for it and stay encouraged through the process of it. You uh, write and talk about energy vampires. Can you tell us about that? What's an energy vampire? How do we know if we see one or if we are one? Well, every team will have energy vampires. Even Jesus had an energy vampire on his team named Judas, right? So, yeah, yeah. so everyone will have an energy vampire. That's the person who sucks the life right out of their team. They're focused on themselves. They don't care about their team. They're just really, really negative and they bring the team down. And so as a leader, one of the biggest mistakes we make is that we do not focus on dealing with the negativity. We do not confront the negativity. We allow it to exist and persist. And then the negativity grows and it winds up sabotaging the organization. So we have to address it, but we do so in a positive way. The biggest problem, well, one of the biggest problems also is that leaders get negative about negativity. And yes. so they go through their teams and they're like, hey, you gotta be positive. And they're all negative. Or they say this from the energy bus, you're either on my bus or off my bus. You decide. And that's not the intention. You have to love tough, not tough love. Love tough is the key. Love must come first. If your team knows that you love them, then you earn the right to challenge them, but love must come first. And so a lot of people, unfortunately, though, have taken my book, The Energy Bus, and what they're doing now is they're using it as a way to control people and to say you're either positive or not, or you're getting off my bus, or you're an energy vampire, you need to change. And that was never the intention. The intention is you must address the negativity. If someone is an energy vampire, you address them in a positive way. You try to help them become a part of their culture. You try to transform them with love, with empathy and coaching and mentoring and guidance. But if that person then at that point is really negative, if they're not willing to change, if they are sabotaging the team and there are those people, then you may have to let that person off the bus. And you have to do so so they don't hurt the rest of the team. But first, you must lead with love. So, yeah, that's an interesting perspective because I think, you know, you think of a board of directors, church world, corporate world, you have that one negative voice. I'm not negative. I'm a realist, right? What? So that has to be confronted. Yes. And I love when people say I'm a realist, right? I'm, I'm, yeah. just, being, I'm just being a realist. Meanwhile, when, when Steve Jobs would say to his team, hey, we're going to you know, do this software in this amount of time, and they'd say, there's no way, there's no way it's going to happen. They said hey, he had this amazing ability to distort their reality. He yeah. distorted their reality. His reality distortion field, they called it, from pessimism or realism, I'm just being a realist, to optimism. 
And time and time again, they accomplished the very thing that they thought were possible. Now, you want to have some of those people on the team that, again, try to bring some objectivity to it in a sense. They want to bring maybe even some conflict because those people might get you to think about things you normally wouldn't think about. But once you have those discussions, then they must join the team and get on the bus and believe about what's possible when you have those discussions. If that person just wants to be negative for negative sake, they're an energy vampire. If they're trying to make the team better and that's their intention and they do so and they make you you think about things that you normally wouldn't think about, that's actually an attribute to the team. So you need that as part of your team. Notice we're talking about some conflict. You you have to have some conflict. As our friend Patrick Lencioni talks, I mean, you have to have conflict on a team. I call it positive conflict. It's conflict that makes you better and stronger. So you have to have these difficult conversations that make you better. You can't ignore it. And so if you have it and it makes the team better, then you can grow from it. So the ratio you want is like five to one or greater positive to negative interactions, three to one or greater. Seven to one or greater is awesome. But if you get to 13 to one, 13 positive to one negative, the team starts to fall apart because no one's dealing with the real issues. Then we are. Is that an aggregate? Like, you know, so you have an hour meeting or whatever, and you want a three to one, five to one, seven to one positive over negative. Yeah, I think it's most most in terms of over the course of a relationship, over the course time of being together and so forth. Maybe not in one meeting. In one meeting, you might have more negativity that that meeting, but over the course of, of a relationship, right. John Gottman's research shows in marriage is the ratio is five positive to one negative. As the ratio approaches one to one, one negative to one positive interaction, the marriage is more likely to head to divorce. Fascinating. So when it comes to, to that board member or that team member, staff member, key volunteer, whatever it happens to be. Is that a good indicator? Like they are three times positive to one time negative? Because I mean, there there is, we've all been around tables, whereas that one guy, nothing positive ever comes out of his or her mouth. And is that always, you know, and you try to build them up, but they're just, this is just the way I am. I call it the way I see it. Those are the energy vampires. Or how do, how do you know that this person isn't just a correctable good person or coachable person or you got to get off the bus? That's through leadership. That's yeah. the, you know, there's no scientific formula. That's the, the magic of great leaders that can actually yeah. embrace those people, coach those people, talk to that person one-on-one and, and get more out of the person that, than others would or will. And so for someone like that, I would love to start a meeting with that person and say, okay, hey, what are we doing right? What's going right right now? Like you have to come up with a couple of things we're doing right because there are good things we're doing. And so what are we doing right? And then what are you excited about in the future? What are you optimistic about? If that person especially is in a church, right? They better be optimistic about Yeah, the yeah. We have the and, gospel. You better find something positive. And there are too many people that aren't. There are too many Christians that you would never know they're Christian because they're not very optimistic or faithful or hopeful. So... Again, if you're making the team better, getting us to think about things we normally wouldn't think about, but but get that person to start sharing some positive interactions, some positive, hopeful things about the future and positive things they see. So we can start getting that person to think a little bit differently on the team. And then we talk to that person and say, look, we, we have to have more positive interactions. We're, we're better and we're positive. And when my son, for instance, says, Dad, I'm just being me because he's got the I'm just being me thing, you said you should be authentic. Yeah, you should be authentic, but you should be the best version of you, right? This is not right. like, I'm just being me, but I'm a jerk. 
Like that's, that's just who I am. No, no, you don't have to be that. You can be the best, most positive version of you. You, uh, one of the things, um, that I've found helpful in leadership and you, you've hinted at it is just what I call alignment. In other words, if this person actually wants the church to grow, if they want the church to thrive and they're like, I'm not sure this is the best strategy. That's totally different than the person who's like, yeah, I'm just thinking about me and all the negative thoughts in my head. Um, that's good. Good to develop a filter. Yeah, the energy vampire is often bringing their own personal wounds and their own struggles and their own issues, and they're bringing it to everyone else. Again, as Christians, we have to have empathy for those people. We have to want to help those people and guide those people. But it doesn't mean that that person necessarily should be part of your team. Andy Stanley also said, you know, you want to have a ministry, not hire a ministry. (laughs) And so you... So again, you want to make sure that people on your team are contributing to the team in a positive way because one person can't make a team, but one person can break a team. And so when I have a coach, for instance, that has someone who's really struggling as a, as a young player, they got issues that they grew up with, pain that they've endured, you know, issues that they have. Well, I totally tell the coach, like if that person's doing anything to sabotage the team and really hurt the team, maybe you have to let that person off. You have to do everything you can, but then don't let that person out of your life. Continue to mentor that person. Keep that person close. Call them up. Encourage them. They may not be on your court or your field, but they can still be on your team where you love them and care about them. And again, that's a different approach than just saying, you know what, you're an energy vampire. That's it. We don't want to exclude people. We don't want to get rid of people. But again, when you're here to do something, when you have a mission, when you have a purpose, when you're moving towards that, and someone really is sabotaging it, again, not one time, right? A lack of, Mm -hmm. you know, a lack of belief one time or, or a negative thought one time or a fight, teams are going to fight. But if that person over and over again is really sucking the energy out of the team and hurting the culture, I work with a lot of school districts and you get a couple of those teachers and they're sabotaging the culture and they're now affecting the entire culture to make a difference in these kids' lives. Well, then that person needs to either get on the bus or get off the bus because you know what? We're here to make a difference in kids' lives. And if you're going to sabotage that and you're focused on you instead of them, because it's all about you and not the kids. Okay, this person may need to get off the bus. They, if they're not willing to change. My whole litmus test, if you're willing to change and be coached and we can work together and get better, all right, let's do it. But if you're not willing to change, if you just continue to want to be negative, you think it's everyone else but you and that's your issue, well, then you might be an energy vampire. But again, it's no perfect science. There's no perfect formula. The leader's job is to figure out who needs to stay and who needs to may need to go. Well, last question for you. Um, you have or, or encourage what I understand to be a no complaining rule. Can you talk about that dealing with, we've talked a lot about negativity, but where does that go and what does that look like? The no complaining rule. Why have we talked so much about negativity? <laughs> I don't know, but probably because we're talking to church leaders. It's funny. Because uh, I didn't, I mean, the questions didn't go there, but this interview went there. It's fascinating. I love, yeah, I love it. I love it. Rich, uh, Rich Wilkerson. Rich Wilkerson's a good yeah. friend. And Rich Wilkerson, years ago, uh, before the book really even took off, he read The Energy Bus and the No Complaining Rule with his church down at Trinity in Miami. And they implemented the No Complaining Rule. And it transformed their culture. And as a new Christian, I had no idea that churches were negative. Like I, always, I, I, 
I was blown away because I literally, I mean, I really had this myth and this idea like, oh, like, oh, they got to be like amazing, positive places. And there's just, everyone's optimistic and gets along and hopeful and sings songs. And that's the way it is behind the scenes. I really had that, that, that childlike belief that that's the way it was. And so I'll never forget talking to him and going, oh, wow, I had no idea it was like <laughs> <laughs> And so you're making many- me laugh. I'm just, I, you know, I ask these questions with the leader in mind, and I talk to so many discouraged church leaders, so many discouraged business leaders, and it's just hard day in and day out. That's why I'm grateful for you, John, and grateful for what you do, uh, because I think you're changing the conversation, you're changing the culture. But thank you, thanks for that audible you just called in the. I appreciate that. But, and, and since that time though, uh, so a lot have implemented no complaining rule. It's really simple. It's, it's a great positive way to deal with negativity. You implement a no complaining rule that says you're not allowed to complain unless you come with a solution. So we want to hear your complaints, bring your complaints, but also bring your solutions. And if you do that, what happens now is the complaints are a catalyst for new ideas, for improvement, for a better process of how we can do things. If you just allow people to complain in that venting, that only leads to toxic energy, toxic attitude, toxic behaviors, and then you sabotage your church, your team, your organization, your sports team. So I've had teams do no complaining training camp. The Atlanta Falcons did that for years. No complaining training camp. We're not allowed to complain during training camp. See, because energy vampires are overt. You can see who they are. You know who they are, and you can deal with them. It's that subtle negativity of complaining that slowly will sabotage a team and organization if you allow it to exist. So you implement this rule. And it was really invented by PPR, which is a nurse staffing company. Mm-hmm. The CEO's friend of mine, he told me how he implemented this rule. One of the best places to work every year in a commoditized market staffing, they're outperforming their competition 10 times the growth. And they have such a great culture because they tell people when they come on board, hey, we have a no complaining rule. If you're a complainer, this is not the right place for you. <laughs> Hey, we want your solutions. We are we empower everybody, and that's the key. If you're going to implement this rule, you have to be you have to be a group of leaders, and yet you have to have leadership that is willing to listen to the complaints. You can't say and have this rule if you don't allow people to share, because then you're just stifling people, and they complain. Why people complain because they feel powerless or because it's a habit, and when you have both of those issues, it's how you feel powerless and a habit. Now you get a chronic group of complainers in your company or your team that will sabotage it. John, you helped a lot of leaders today. Thank you so much. You're speaking something like, what, 13 days in a row for the next uh, two weeks or something? Crazy. I'm doing a big real estate conference, then going to State Farm in Nevada, then Arkansas football, Clemson football. Then I go to uh, school districts the following week, like five school districts in a row throughout Texas, Nebraska. Pennsylvania, come back and a, a few other events. It's going to be a, a, a crazy couple of uh, weeks. Well, and you were really generous with your time with us. You've encouraged a lot of people. There's going to be people who want to get your books, jump on your website. Where can they find you online? They can just go to johngordon.com. That's J-O-N gordon.com, Twitter, J-O-N gordon11. Same thing with Instagram and, and the others. Thank you. Thanks for a breath of fresh air, John. We really appreciate you. Thanks, Terry. I appreciate it. Well, I, I bet you feel better than when you started this episode. Do you? I hope so. I did. John, 
I love that. And you know what? That is something I fight for every day, positivity. If you want to dig a little bit deeper, just head on over to the show notes. You'll find it all at kerryneuhoff.com slash episode 239. Uh, if you have trouble remembering how to spell that, just go to leadlikeneverbefore.com and search John Gordon. It's J-O-N Gordon. You'll find the show notes there. We also have transcripts. And of course, you can get this podcast for free anywhere you get your podcasts. Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Tune in, Stitcher, wherever it's convenient for you, we are there. And uh, we love doing this uh, with you. Now, just a reminder, because time is limited on a couple of offers, uh, the High Impact Leader is open right now. And if you haven't yet checked out the High Impact Leader, uh, thousands of leaders have, and I could go on all day about the difference it's made, but it's all about getting your life and leadership back. And it's not just like little hacks. This is about a system that actually works. So it's the one that led me to like write four books and, uh, you know, they become bestsellers uh, to do a leadership podcast, to teach full time at my church, to lead, travel, speak, have a better marriage, all those things. I teach you not how to do that, but how to have a system that allows you to do that without burning out. That's what The High Impact Leader is all about. So go to thehighimpactleader.com. And remember, very limited time specials for Pro Media Fire. You got to check this out because, you know, even if you're like, well, we don't really have any staff in media or we have one guy or one woman or whatever, you can do more at a fraction of the price that you would pay a staff member. Cloud-based media support. So unlimited graphics, unlimited church videos for a monthly flat fee. Head on over to promediafire.com forward slash carry. You will save between 10 and 40% if you act now. And we are back Thursday. You don't have to wait a whole week. That's right. We're doing six episodes a month, most months. And we are back Thursday with a fresh episode. This one is going to be fire. It is with Annie F. Downs. And if you don't know Annie Downs, you got to get to know her. She has a massive audience. She is just an expert at connecting with her tribe. And we talk about that. We talk about how women leaders connect differently with their audiences than men. And guys, we better have our notebooks open because honestly, so many women, like we saw with Lisa Turkhurst a couple of weeks ago, have far bigger audiences than most men. And like, we're oblivious. Well, you won't be after this episode. Listen in. What is honest is we are saying to these women, hey, we're literally just like you. We are just like you. I'm living a life. I got to do my laundry too. I got to get my oil changed too. And man, I didn't plan to be single in my 30s either. And and I'm I'm busy too, just like you guys who are moms. And I'm, you know, I'm just like you. Here's something that I've learned. And here's a book. And then they go like, man, this person is just like me. And, and it seems to me, correct me if I'm wrong, Carrie, it seems to me that men want to, want to listen to men they want to be like, and women want to listen to women they think they are already like. So that is Thursday. And again, if you subscribe, you will get it automatically for free. And you don't have to listen live, but then, you know, you've just got it. I only ever listen to the podcasts I subscribe to. So if you're not a subscriber, please do so. And we are anticipating much fun. I was also on Annie's podcast uh, earlier this year as well. So we will link to that when it comes out. In the meantime, thank you so much for listening. Uh, you guys are the best. Uh, thanks for all the encouragement. Thanks for letting me know that this is making a difference. And I really do hope our time together today has helped you lead like never before. 
You've been listening to the Carrie Newhoff Leadership Podcast. Join us next time for more insights on leadership, change, and personal growth to help you lead like never before.